We are, for the next three weeks, going to be looking at what our church is all about. So would you start passing that basket around? This is the New Life booklet. We had these handed out at our all-church retreat a year and a half ago. That was version 1.0. This is now version 2.0, and it's coming around. I'd love for every family to take one of these, and you can bring it back each Sunday and take a look and see what are we all about. And I'll, I'll orient you to the book as, as it's going around. The first thing that we have in here right after the welcome is our mission. New Life Church exists to engage people disconnected from God so they delight in Him through Jesus. That's what we're about. We, we recognize that there is a spectrum of disconnected from God. Some people are completely disconnected from God and some people are just feeling a little disconnected from God today. And we want to help everybody move from disconnected, whether in total or in part, to delighted in God. Okay, so that, that's what we want to do. We want to help everybody move from uh, disconnected from God to delighted in God through Jesus. The next thing that we have is our identity. And you can see in the middle, uh, some of you can see, the books are, are coming around. In the middle we have delight, right? We delight in God. That's, that's central. And because we delight in God, we recognize we need the gospel, so if you say, what are the core values of New Life Church? Uh, we need the gospel. That's uh, maybe our number one core value. We recognize that we need Jesus. And because we need Jesus and God has lovingly uh, given us his son, therefore we delight in him. We also do life together, serve as a team, and are missionaries. All of these are part of delighting in God. We do life together, we serve as a team, and we are missionaries. And the next three weeks, we're going to be covering those three things. You might say, well, how come we're not talking about the need for the gospel? Well, if you were here last week, when we were talking about Psalm 32 and the need for confession of sin, I think that did a really good job, and I'm hoping that each and every week you're getting the need for the gospel. But for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about serving as a team, living life together, and being missionaries. So then as you flip through the book, you'll see those things explained a little bit. We need the gospel, we are missionaries, we do life together, we serve as a team. And then after that, the back half of the book is the vision and structure of the church. That we are a church of multiple congregations, that the congregations, and you can flip through, New Life Church is a church of multiple congregations engaging the most independent mission field in the Western Hemisphere with disciples, life groups, and congregations. You turn the page, congregations. What does a congregation do? Each congregation engages the needs of their city. After that, life groups. The life groups engage their neighborhood together. You can see it's the same thing, but smaller and smaller levels, right? And then finally, disciples. Every disciple engages their neighbor for, for Jesus' sake. And so I encourage you to take some more time to do that, but the one that we're going to be focusing on today is we serve as a team. When we serve together, we do better and Jesus looks more glorious when we serve as a team. Okay, so that's what's coming up. Let's turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We, we have this section where he's talking about, uh, therefore, therefore, I, I want you to, by the mercies of God, present yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. What, where is this coming from? Why, why start here? It's because in the previous chapters, he's been talking about all that God has done for us. In, in chapter uh, 8 and 9 and 10, 3, 6, just about all of the book of Romans up to this point, he's been explaining to us what the gospel is. That is, that we need Jesus and his sacrifice for us so that we can be saved from our sins. That's what he's been uh, talking about. And so if you're looking in, we'll just pick Romans 10, uh, it says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And so Paul has been writing this letter to the, the church at Rome and he's been making this very, very clear that we have to have Jesus, we have to believe in Jesus if we're going to be saved. And then, so that we don't get too full of ourselves, he starts going, okay, now, now listen, listen. This is by the grace of God that it's been extended to you. It's by the grace of God that it has been extended to you. Don't, don't start thinking that you are somehow special because Israel is God's chosen people and you as Gentiles, non-Israelites, have been brought in by God's grace. And for a time, he's saying in, in chapter 11, for a time, Israel has been uh, cut off. That is, they have rejected God. And, and there's going to be a time when they're c- coming back. But for right now, they have been rejected so that you can be brought in. And, you know, oh yeah, I've, I've been brought in. He said, no, you can't do that. You can't have that kind of an attitude. Because if God would cut off the Israelites, who were his chosen people, how much more could he cut you off? It is only by his grace and by your faith that you are being saved. Therefore... Chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, because it is 
completely by God's grace and by His mercy that you have been saved and brought into the community of His people, therefore, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to Him. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to Him. Now, sacrifices are pretty well understood. If I did something wrong, I need to offer a sacrifice to appease. And, and that sacrifice would be that I would kill something. Right? In, in the Old Testament, there were sacrifices for everything. Everything that you did that was wrong had some sort of sacrifice associated with it to cover that sin, to take care of that sin. And so we understand that that sacrifice was that you would kill a lamb or you would kill a goat or you would kill a bull or you would kill a pigeon or you would kill something. Something had to die because of sin. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it puts it this way. Indeed, Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves were better with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Now, to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood that is not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he, that is Jesus, has appeared once for all and at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are, or, who are eagerly waiting for him. When we're talking about sacrifices, that's the kind of sacrifice that we're talking about. That the, the blood that, that covers the sins. But because now he's saying all of that has been taken care of by the one-time sacrifice of Jesus. Therefore, because Jesus gave his death for us, we ought to give our lives for him. We offer our sacrifices not with our death, but with our life. In Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, it puts it this way, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We believe that because we are Christians and believe that Jesus offered himself for us, our lives are necessarily different. It's normal for us to be different. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Isn't that an interesting comparison? That we offer our bodies... To God as a living sacrifice, and that is our spiritual worship. When you think of worship, is that the first thing you think of? It's not the first thing I think of. When I think of worship, 
Even though I have read the Bible and I know what worship is, I, I, first thing I think of, worship, Sunday morning. Everybody sitting here together and singing songs. It's the, it just pops into my head. That's worship. We call it worship. We say, were you there for worship on Sunday? And it is a part of worship. Singing songs and praising God is part of worship. But worship is just ascribing, some, uh, ascribing worth to something. In this case, ascribing worth to God. And what, one of the reasons that we are ascribing worth to God or um, explaining or telling of how much worth God has on Sunday mornings is because we're singing these great words that are talking about how great God is. And we are um, giving our time and prioritizing being here in this place. And that is worship. It's saying, God, I'm prioritizing you by starting my week in your presence, singing praises to you. But the reality is, everything that we do is ascribing or explaining, telling of the worth of something. Everything we do. Even eating. Eating tells us about the worth of eating. It is necessity. It is important. It is valuable to eat. It's what sustains us. Right? Sleeping. We need sleep. We prioritize sleep. Some of us, maybe not as much as we should. But we prioritize sleeping. Because it's valuable. But everything that we do, everything that we read, everything that we look at, everything that we say, everywhere that we go, the way that we use our time, the way that we use our money, all of those things are worship. They're just not always worship of God. And so what he's saying is, take your lives, take your bodies, and offer them to God as living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. So that you are presenting yourself and offering yourself to God perpetually and acknowledging how valuable God is, how much worth He has in the way that you live your life. That's what He's saying. So how do we do that? Where do we start? If I'm going to offer my body as a living sacrifice to God, how do I start going about doing that? We turn to uh, verse 2, Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The place that we have to start, if we're going to um, present our bodies as living sacrifices to God, the place that we have to start is with our mind. We have to have right thinking before we can present our bodies as living sacrifices to God. Have you noticed that you have to change your thinking before you change your attitudes or you change your behaviors? For instance... One of my favorite behaviors is eating sweet things. Chocolate, donuts, cookies, cakes, pies. Pies. Those are really good. Even as I say the words, I (laughs) salivate just a little bit. 
because I think that those things are really good, I'm going to, I don't even have to think about it, prioritizing eating those things. I just do. It was there, and now it isn't, because I ate it. I, I love shared meals, because very often somebody says, you have a lot of people in your family, do you want to take this dessert home? I have a confession. I have a lot of people in my family. Only one of us eats that thing. Okay, if I want to change my behavior and limit the amount of sweets that I eat and say, you know, I need to be more conscious about that. I step on the scale and it's moving the wrong direction, especially after you sprain your ankle and you're not playing basketball three days a week anymore. The, the, it gets trickier. You can't eat as many sweets. And so you have to change your thinking about the way that you do that. And you say, okay, I have to prioritize not eating sweets. I need to discipline myself to not eat sweets. And so, as soon as the kids are in bed, and I remember that there are cookies in the freezer, the kids don't find them if you put them there. If I remember that there are cookies in the freezer, I have to change my thinking before I change my behavior, because otherwise my natural response is the kids are in bed, they can't see anymore, pull out the cookies and then I eat them. But if I change my thinking, I say, okay, I'm not going to do that. How am I not going to do this? I will give the cookies to the children. Because if I give the cookies to the children, then I can't eat them. It is the only solution. (laughs) But I have to change my thinking before I change my behavior. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The problem is, when we come to Christ, we have patterns of behavior that aren't in a line with worshiping Him. They're in a line with worshiping something else, or someone else, or even ourselves. I'm going to put me first. I'm going to take care of me first. I want those sweets, I'm going to eat those sweets. It's a me first kind of behavior. And so when we come to Christ, we have to shift our thinking and be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And this is why we have to be in the Word over and over again. Why we're we're reading the Scriptures over and over again so that we get to know the mind of Christ and our minds can be transformed to be in alignment with His so that we begin to recognize the differences between the things that we used to do and the things that we ought to do. Also, working against us is the pattern of the world. So it says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be squeezed into the mold that the world would like to put on you. There are things that people do and expect you to do because it makes them feel better about their sin. And so they say, okay, we're all going to do this together because if we all do it, then it's okay. Or they just don't believe in God. And so their priorities are different. And we see the priorities that they have, and we go, those look like really important things. I am also going to pursue those priorities. 
I, it really must be a good idea to stockpile a whole bunch of money. It must really be a good idea to purchase that kind of a vehicle. It must really be a good idea to live in that kind of neighborhood, to do these activities with my kids, to do that kind of thing with my friends. And what we realize is that when we come to Christ, we have to rethink all of those things. Why do we do it that way? Why do they do it that way? Am I being conformed to a mold that is not that of Christ? Because I want to be Christ-like rather than conformed to the world. And that starts with a renewing of our minds and, and a thinking. Thinking. I remember talking with somebody one time, and uh, we were talking about having kids. And I said, yeah, we, we had kids early because uh, I wanted to be done having kids and, and um, still young enough to enjoy time with my wife and time with kids and grandkids later on. And they looked at me and went, I never thought of that. I... I never thought of that. I just thought I was enjoying my time with my spouse right now, and it would be inconvenient to have kids, and so we waited. I never thought about what might happen on the other end. And this is what I find over and over again, is that people just do stuff. I do that. I do that. Why, do you, why are you doing it that way, Travis? Uh, it's the way that I do things? I, I always did it this way. My parents did it that way. My friends did it that way. So I did it. Is that not the right way to do it? Well, how are you thinking it through? How does it honor Christ or how does it not honor Christ? We begin there and we just can evaluate, right? But we have to actually stop and think as we're reading through the scriptures and going, okay, what does this mean about my alignment with Christ? How do I prioritize these things? How do I prioritize my time? How do I prioritize my kids? How do I value the opportunities that I give to my kids? What am I expecting from my kids? I see a lot of parents with lots of pressure put on them because they are or are not providing the right kinds of opportunities for their kids. Why do I have to provide those kinds of opportunities for my kids? Otherwise, you're not a good parent. Why? Because good parents provide those kinds of opportunities for their kids. Duh. And I have to look at it and say, what is it that I do want for my kids? I want my children to be independent, mature Christians when they reach 18 so that when they leave the house, they are following Christ and serving in the church and they can do that without my help. It changes the way that I parent my kids and the opportunities that I want to give to them and the things I say to them. Because it's changed the way that I think about parenting. And I developed that because I had mature Christians around me that helped me think that through early on as we began parenting. What were our goals? What were we trying to accomplish? Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
In Ephesians 4, verses 20 to 24, it says, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to put on the, to, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and in holiness. We're putting on something new because we are new creations in Christ. So we get to verse 3 and he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. As we're thinking about right thinking, the first thing, the very first place we have to start is how do we rightly think about ourselves? How do we rightly think about ourselves? In most cases, we have too high of a value on ourselves. We have placed ourselves right in the middle of everything or at the top of everything. And we need to rethink that. He says, for, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Don't think of yourself too highly. One of the lessons that God has been teaching me lately is that when I'm talking with people that I really respect and people that I love and people who I know and there seems to be a misunderstanding about something or it looks to me like they are dead wrong about this, probably there's something wrong here. Because I know that person and I know how they think and I know how they interact with these things and if something doesn't look right about that, it's probably because I'm not fully understanding the situation. That's a change. Because before I would go, man, they are so dumb. Why would they do it that way? What are they thinking? And I might even go to a friend and go... That's the silliest thing I've ever heard of. Why would they do that? Can you believe it? And what I am learning is that if I actually go to that person and I say, what are you thinking? Not in a, a condescending way, not, not in a judgmental way, but in a, I think that there's something going on here that I don't see and understand, so I'm going to find out. Humbly, what are you thinking about this? And then they explained to me, oh, I was way off. I was way off. Occasionally, you might find out, no, you were right. It looked weird. It was weird. And you can talk about that and you can discuss it, but you're not coming from a a place of condescension and judgmentalism. You're coming from a place of humility. Because you're not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think. I know that none of us thinks that we have everything put together and we know all the right, we have all the right answers. But the reality is that um, we behave as though that's true. And we just have to take a step back and, and with humility approach other people and approach God and recognize that my tendency is to put a higher value on me than I ought to. 
This also means that it, we have to have right thinking about how we relate to others. Verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We are not alone. Did you know that? You are not alone. You are not all by yourself. That should be of great comfort to you. We talk a lot about how Christ died for you. And how uh, Christ's death was effective for you. How you, when you believe in Christ, you become a Christian. But it is not in isolation. It is in unity and community that we are saved. And so we all come in here as individuals, but individuals members one of another because we are all a part of the community of Christ. He, he talks about it as in a body. Just as a body has many members, it's one body. So we who are all individuals are members one of another. We're all connected to one another. Which means that we can't, we can't live in isolation. We cannot walk in on a Sunday morning, sing a couple of songs, and walk back out again without being connected to the people that are around us. We, we are not designed to walk through life all by ourselves. We are designed to walk through life in community with one another. We're going to talk about this more next week and the value of life groups and doing life together, but I'm just, I can't help but go there a little bit right now. Because we have to be connected to each other. Christ saved you, and you, and you, and He saved me. And because of that, we all share it together, and we are all together. Members one of another. It's a very organic way of thinking about things. When we talk about church membership, uh, what we're often talking about is a list somewhere. Are you a member of the church? Are you on the church membership? The way that we talk about membership here is, are you participating and engaging in the body? We do have an official role of membership, but we want that membership role to mirror exactly, if possible, the members, the actual members of the body. Are you in alignment with us in, in what we believe? Are you wanting to be a part of this body and going in the direction that we're going? Great. Let's add your name to the list. Did you leave the church and go away? Okay, let's take your name off of the list. You've left the church. You're not participating as a member of the body. And so we want both the, the uh, list to match the actual membership, the people that we, are, we know we're in community with. I remember talking with uh, somebody a couple of years ago and saying, uh, do you know you're not a member? And they looked at me and said, what do you mean I'm not a member? There's nobody more memberly than me. And I went, I know, but you haven't gone through the process. You're not on the list. You, you just go to a new to new life class and, and uh, talk with an elder. And then uh, we, we make you an, an, uh, an official member. 
but I, I'm recognizing that you are a member of this body and I'd like to add your name to the list. Could we go through that process? Please. Yes. That, that's what we want for us to organically be involved with one another's lives, serving one another, helping one another, assisting one another, encouraging one another, loving one another, and then have those official roles match what's actually happening in the body as we are each participate in different ways. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14, puts it this way. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Each being a member of the body. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how glad I am to be participating in life with you and how appreciative I am of the things that you do. I was even just thinking about the number of people who have influence on my kids. It's amazing. It's amazing. Last week we had a shared meal. We were all over together in the fellowship hall. And uh, my youngest son, Nathaniel, he's three, he needed to use the bathroom. And so, I, okay, come on. And so I went walking to, to bring him to the bathroom. And he comes giggling around the corner. And I said, what? What? And he goes, he tried to get me, but I wouldn't let him. I said, who tried to get you? Bobby. I went, how do you know Bobby? <laughs> oh, yeah. Bobby helps out with Awana. And Nathaniel's in that class. Nathaniel knows Bobby. In fact, there are many people I could tell story after story after story about your involvement in my kids' lives. And I am so appreciative and honored to have you play that role with them. Because we are members one of another. We are all one body together. And I know that there are stories that you have about people who have been ministering to you. And sometimes I'm surprised at how one uh, member, one body part doesn't know another one. And sometimes I'm surprised at how well they know each other. But that's just part of what it means to be part of the body. 
Notice, too, the way that it talks about this uh, in verses 3 and 4 of Romans chapter 12. For by the grace given to me, he says, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to faith, the measure of faith that God has assigned. For in one body we all have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Notice that he says we are to think of ourselves with sober judgment and according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And now, as we go into verses 6 through 8, he just gives some examples. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, and notice that again. According to the grace that has been given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is just a a very small representative sample of the things that are happening in the church. And as we go through this, we could talk about specific people in this church who have these kinds of gifts and abilities and are using them to serve the church, but recognize that it is not, the emphasis is not on what's the gift. The emphasis is not on how much ability do you have or how great of talent do you have, but the emphasis is on the grace given to us by God and in accordance with the faith that we have. Isn't that awesome? Because some of us are less skilled than others. And it has nothing to do with skill. You go, oh, well, I can't do that. I don't have the skill for that. That's okay. Has God given you the grace for it? Do you have the faith for it? What it comes down to more often than not is believing that God will enable us and help us to do the things that he's called us to do. So I have talked with people and they go, well, I don't, know if I, I, I don't know if I would be any good at that, but I'm willing to try. Praise God. That's faith. That's faith in action. That's offering your body as a living sacrifice to God to say, I don't know if I'm going to be good at this, but I'm going to give it a shot. Because there's a need here. And I'm going to help. And as I was thinking about preparing for this and and, and exhorting you, encouraging you that you should be participating in the body, both for the sake of the body and for the sake of you, I was thinking, how do people get connected at New Life Church? And as I was thinking about the people and where they're at and the roles that they play and the service that they provide, I was recognizing that this, this is a very inefficient system. Some of you are chuckling because you know how the inefficient system works. The inefficient, unofficial system works like this. Somebody says, I want to do something, and they talk to me, and then we talk about how to make that happen. And somebody else says, I wish that I could help somewhere. And I say, okay, where would you like to help? And we sit down and we talk it through and we find them someplace to help. And we try and find some place that matches their gifts and their abilities and their passions. And it's great. It's just 
inefficient because it all comes to me. And then I have a ministry leader who says, I really need somebody to help with Awana. This is for real, by the way. I really need somebody to help with the youngest kids and I need somebody else to help with the oldest kids. And I say, okay, let me see if I can find you somebody. That's not an efficient way of doing things. If everybody who wants to serve has to talk to me and everybody who needs somebody to serve has to talk to me, everybody has to talk to me. That's not good. So, what I have done... This is the 1.0, we'll call it the 0.5 version, uh, because it's just a trial run. But I've created handouts. Can you pass those around? Uh, you'll, you may have noticed as you walked in um, a new board. Service opportunities, engagement opportunities. We're, we're trying something new. If you would like to know how possibly serve at New Life Church, you can look on that board. This is a handout version of that board. Okay? We have uh, four categories, ministry to children, Sunday morning, music and arts, facilities and care. This might change, but this is this version of it. There's some contact information for people who are responsible for, for those things. On the board, uh, you could... Underneath the board, there's an inbox and there's some forms. You can say, I'm interested in knowing more about serving in Awana or in uh, Sunday school. There's need for that too, by the way. Or on the worship team or in the sound booth or whatever it may be. I'm interested in that. I prefer to be contacted by. You can write that on the list, drop it in the inbox, and somebody will contact you. Okay? We, we, I want... For everybody who wants to serve to be able to find a place that they can serve. And I want for everybody, everybody who has a need to be able to put it on the board. Some of the ministry leaders are going, hey, you didn't talk to me first before putting this on there. I really wish we could have added whatever it is. We can add whatever it is. Okay? But in the future, if you have an idea of some ministry you would like to start, if you would uh, like to ask somebody for help, um, it can go on that service opportunities board. And if you're looking for a place to plug in, you're looking for a place to help, check out the service opportunities board. Okay? Because that's going to be the best way for you to know about what's going on. Um, That being said... I would encourage you. When we are offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, it changes thinking and it changes the way we do life. Some of you are going, oh man, I really should serve. I just don't know that I have time for that. There might have to be some changes to schedule. There might have to be some changes to energy levels. There might have to be some changes to priorities. But it can be done, and let me tell you, the rewards are rich in participating in the body of Christ. It's, it's good for you. Oh, okay, disclaimer. It can also be frustrating, but it's a good frustrating. It's good for you, it's also good for the church. Because when we interact and we support and we help one another, the whole church grows together in the likeness of Christ. 
So I encourage you, you can look at that, you can uh, take it home if you need more time to look at them and read through them. Um, but these opportunities are available to you and you can reach out to the contact people or you can uh, use the inbox there. Let's now go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful that you have not made us individuals, but have made us a community. Lord, how grateful I am for this community. This community of servants who loves you, who offers you worship with their time, with their sacrifices, with their services with their gifts and abilities and passions. Lord, thank you for the way that they love on one another and support one another and encourage one another. Thank you for the way that they have uh, taken care of me and love on my kids and the reward that it is to be a part of this community together. And Father, I pray that as we serve one another, as we don't think of, of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but we think with sober judgment, I pray, Lord, that our lives would be a sacrifice to you that is well-pleasing. And we ask for this in the name of Jesus, who is our sacrifice. Amen.